We are currently in the Advent season. The word Advent means arrival, and this is the anticipation of the arrival of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, next Sunday. is Christmas. It's my privilege to read today's scripture reading, which comes from Luke chapter 2, 40, 41 to 52. Please give your full unavided attention to the reading of God's holy word. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, and as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. This is the word of God at this time. Now let's give our attention to the preaching of God's word. Thanks, Pastor Dan. Good morning, everyone. Hey, I do this every time I preach, man. Good morning, everyone. Thank you. Well, we're a week before Christmas, so uh, early Merry Christmas to you, or almost Merry Christmas. Um, I love this time of the year. I think most of us do. Right in between Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, and also my wife happens to be having a birthday in January, so we have a lot of celebrations to to do in just a short time. Not only do we love it, but it's sweater sweater weather, it's Christmas cards, it's winter trips, it's also Christmas lights and Santa Claus and reindeers and elves and all the different stuff that we we think is so fun and we enjoy. I think one of the battles, though, however, as, as we're Christians and as we gather on Sundays like this or next Sunday, is to remember what it's all about. And I don't know about you, but as I drive around during the season, there's always these uh, different... Um, advertisements that are up on next to the freeways. And one of the ones that I love seeing is the one that says, Jesus is the reason for the season. And even sometimes driving by myself, I sit there and I mutter, amen. (laughs) But is he really? You know, at the end of the day, I know that we want to remember Christ is the reason why we celebrate. But he's not just part of the holidays. He's actually the reason why it is a holy day. Here in Luke's gospel, the physician Luke uh, highlights a theme that Jesus is the son of man, that Jesus is the ultimate representative man, that he is all that God had intended mankind to be, but he was much even more than that as God. Even when his disciples uh, and Jesus entered into the city of Philippi, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, Elijah, or one of the prophets. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and says, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers him, you are the Christ. It was a fitting answer, a revelation given to him by the Father. 
And as we take this Sunday before Christmas, I want us to take a look at a Jesus that's presented here uniquely in Luke. Not just a baby Jesus or the 30-year-old Jesus that begins his ministry or three years later approximately as this Jesus, our beloved Christ, dies on the cross, but actually a 12-year-old Jesus. And I believe that we will discover he's more than just a boy or a teen, but he's more than we can imagine. And so the first thing I want us to see this morning together is that Jesus is more wonderful than we can ever imagine. In verses 46 to 48, it tells us of the situation where his parents were traveling back home after the Passover feast. And uh, as they were traveling back with friends and relatives, they discovered that Jesus wasn't with them. And so they returned back to Jerusalem looking for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple as he is sitting there having discussions with the teachers. And the words that are used by the teachers as they were listening to this 12-year-old talk and ask questions was the word amazed. They were amazed. And when his parents saw him and seeing what he was doing, it says they were astonished. Why? Because he was 12 years old. 12-year-old boys don't ask the questions that he was asking. 12-year-old boys don't hang out at the temple for three days, especially without their parents. 12-year-old boys don't have the insight or the understanding of Scripture that supposedly Jesus displayed. And that's why they were so amazed and astonished. And I know some people might say, well, yeah, he's got all that understanding because he's God. In our passage today, sandwiched in between are the statements in verse 40 that this child grew and became strong and filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. And then in verse 52, that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. This is speaking about his humanity. Because we know that God doesn't increase in wisdom at all. He is wise. And we also know that God is spirit and he doesn't have to increase in any physical stature. What's being presented here is a mystery that Jesus represents. That this is this in, embodied in this 12-year-old boy is both God, fully God, and fully man. Both natures were fully present in Jesus and yet independent of each other. The human Jesus did not tap into the divine Jesus for these these wonderful answers. The divine Jesus didn't tap into the human Jesus with supernatural powers. If this happened, the purity of each nature would have been lost. The idea that Jesus, God in human form, could grow, mature, and increase in wisdom and stature was to demonstrate that he was truly a man. And not just any man, but as Luke refers to him as the son of man. And a lot of people have tried to wrap their head around this thought. I mean, it's hard to quite grasp this because it doesn't make sense. The math doesn't work. 100% God plus 100% man equals 100% Jesus, not 200%. And so some of the questions that people have asked as I've traveled on mission trips and different parts and talking with people, and some of the questions that they would pose is, one, for example, if Jesus is God, why is he praying to himself? 
Of course not. There is a humanity of Christ praying and loving fellowship with his heavenly father. If Jesus is is man, how can he forgive sins? And the scripture tells us only God can forgive sins, but he's also God. And if Jesus is man, how can he walk on water? How can he command the seas and heal the sick and cast out demons? Well, the authority of God. And if Jesus is God, how can he not know the day or the hour? Well, God knows all things. But the humanity of Jesus did not. In fact, there were times when he was, he was at a loss of knowledge. When someone touched him, he said, who touched me? And if Jesus is God, how could he die? Well, God didn't die. The humanity of Christ died. The questions on this list can go on and on. We have a hard time wrapping our head around, even if we're given the the truths of Scripture to behold, yet trying to understand it and even imagine it is so difficult. He's more than we can imagine. It's something that Scripture calls a mystery. It's a profound statement to make that Jesus was fully God and fully man, and yet one person. And like claiming that our God is found and and, and we speak of God in three persons and yet one in essence as true God, which refer to the doctrine of the Trinity. And I want you to imagine, for all of us who've hung around at church or have known teenagers or 12-year-olds, imagine if you stood before a 12-year-old Jesus. What would you think? You would think he's just a 12-year-old. He looks just like any other 12-year-old. And as, and as you behold this 12-year-old and your brain is assessing all the information of what he looks like, how tall he is, maybe even uh, some of the elements of what his physical body is going through and some of the changes, and yet someone were to tell you he's not just this 12-year-old boy, he's actually God in human flesh, and he will one day take away all of our sins. All the information that you gathered with your senses and your ability to logically understand what you observe will will have been wrong if it were not informed by Scripture. In Isaiah 7.14 it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, and behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. This is almost 700 years before the birth of Christ. Jesus was more than just a baby. He was more than what we affectionately call a tweener. He was more than just a son, a boy who did his chores and helped around the house, who helped his father do some of the carpentry work. He was so much more. In fact, in the Jewish tradition, when a boy reaches puberty, he becomes what's called son of the uh, commandment or covenant, which in the present we call the bat mitzvah. It was helpful for boys at this age, to attend Jerusalem for the festivals that were being held there. The Passover was one of them, along with Pentecost and the Feast of Tabernacles. And for a year or two, the parents would take them to become familiar with what it meant to be a son of the covenant, so that he would realize what his relationship, this new relationship would be as a child of the covenant. He was a man. He was born to Mary and Joseph. He grew And he even was submissive to his parents and followed them back home to Nazareth. But he was also God the Son. When his parents scolded him for worrying them, he asked them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know 
that I must be in my father's house? This was so obvious and clear to him. And by calling God his father, it's not like some of the Western culture understanding that we have, because we have father and we have son. This is not a reference to higher authority and lesser authority. In actuality, in the culture of their day, which, is very under, which was well understood by the, leaders, the religious leaders of his day, which why they were so offended when this phrase, son of God, might have been used, is because he is claiming the same essence of the father, divinity. Because if, if, a, if this person, the father, is a king, guess what the son is? Royalty. He shares the same nature and essence with his father. And so here, not only do we see the essence of who he is in his humanity, but the picture of his divinity, and also his relationship to the father in terms of who his identity would be. That when it, in verse 43, when it says that they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, the word boy there is the Greek word pais, which not only refers to a child, male or female, but it also is used at times for the servanthood, a slave. That his identity to the father would one day be as a servant. It was understandable that Mary and Joseph might have almost forgot who this boy was. Remember, he was born with an immaculate conception, a visit from an angel announcing his birth. He was given a name that, was, that he was to be called. His name would be Jesus. That in Hebrew, Yeshua means Yahweh is salvation. He was born as their son, and for years, he was their child. He was their son growing up. So knowing this about Jesus in this text is important. And the Apostle Paul reminds us in Colossians 2, in verses 1 to 3. He says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. And for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full, full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. To the Colossian church, Paul writes of this mystery who is Christ, and he talks about the reason why this mystery is revealed to us so that there would be an encouragement. Because during seasons of life, we all go through difficulties and hardships, and there is a beautiful encouragement to understand that there is a God who not only sees you, but understands hardship times. But there's also this encouragement to be brought together in unity, knit together in love. Love for one another because we share a common love for him who is our Christ. And that we would have also the riches of this full assurance of understanding, the knowledge that we could not have assessed by ourselves but only have known because God revealed it to us to be in awe of what the scripture says are the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We all know that December 25th is not probably Jesus' real birthday, but it is a collective remembering of his birth. And for many, during this season, it's a vacation season. 
It's a traveling season. It's a good meal with friends and family season. It's exchanging gifts with loved ones season. But I also want us to understand that the greatest gift that God could have given to us that's not on most of our lists is a knowledge, a treasure of knowledge of this mystery of God's love and his grace to a world dying in sin was the message of his son in person. And so as we think about this, I hope that we will stand in awe and wonder, and it would lead us to a time of worship. That's something we would do collectively together next Sunday, just so happens that Christmas falls on a Sunday, that we would worship him together. So Jesus is more wonderful than we can imagine, but second, I want us to see that being in the presence of the Father is more beautiful than we can imagine. You know, Jesus didn't even think twice about where he was and for how long. For three days without his parents, I mean, where did he sleep? What did he eat? And perhaps maybe because he's, he showed such interest and such ability, maybe the, 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 the teachers in the temple just helped him, uh, housed him, gave him food to eat. And it seems he was unaware of how unusual this was. Why? Because he was in his father's house. That's where he was supposed to be. He wasn't in Joseph's house. He was in his heavenly father's house. He was saying, it's right for me to be here. And Mary and Joseph probably traveled for a day, and then they turned back a day, and it took them probably another full day to find him. And when they asked him, why have you caused us such distress? His response was so cavalier. Why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? I want us to pause for a moment as a father of teens. If I said, where were you? And if they said, why? Did you not know? I would be like, uh, excuse me? <laughs> but being in the temple, that's where his primary identity and joy was. And so should ours. During the season, we get so busy. All the shopping malls, every time I drive by one in Brea, uh, and I see the cars just packed in the parking lots, I, I quickly want to drive in the opposite direction. I don't want to step inside. I don't want to look for parking. These patterns, these habits that we have during this season tend to make us forget what it's really about. And by faith, we are called to sit in the presence of God, to remember and to be in awe and worship and remember our first love. Not the idolatry of everything that we want that will fade away, but to remember our first love. And by doing so, we declare to ourselves that Jesus is truly our first love. To be like a child who doesn't need a whole lot, just a simple way of life, to appreciate all that we have and not just the things that we don't have yet. Because Christmas is, can easily become a time of everything I don't have versus all that we already have in Christ. And worship is also a pre-image of what is yet to come in glory. Because right now, we can't fully understand and see everything. We do it so by faith. But one day, when we're in glory with God and standing in the presence of God, I promise you, worship will not be difficult. It will not be boring. It will not be isolated. It will be amazing. It will be with all of God's people. And I think... And I want to say this, because when we go to heaven, I want to say to you, I told you, I think worship will probably include just one word, and that will be, wow. 
What's at stake here in our time and our generation is the loss of this wonder and the purpose of worshiping together. Not just in our homes, by ourselves, online. You know, in, a, in the persecuted parts of the world, they can't gather together. And so worshiping by themselves or in families is necessary. That's how they worship at times. But I'm sure if the persecution were to end and they were allowed to congregate, I'm sure they would rather meet in person. I also want us to understand that everything we do online or, or by media at times is usually passive. It's not interactive or, or active. Everything we watch on our phones or our TVs is often passive. We just watch it and listen. But worship is not passive. It's an active engagement, a time to connect with both God and with his people intentionally. Did you hear that? That worship is an active time, not a passive time, to connect intentionally with God and his people. And that's what makes it so powerful. I don't know any person who would want to rather watch a concert, a BTS concert, or Billie Eilish, or, or maybe The Weeknd or Earth, Wind, and Fire, which is my favorite. I don't know anyone who would want to watch that concert online or on a TV versus being there in person. And the reason why I say that is because this gathering is not just about what you see on the stage. It's about the very person whom we cannot see. That we gather in the presence of one who we worship by faith. Not by what is seen, but by what is unseen. You know, one thing I love about uh, sports in a stadium or an arena is once your team scores, you are high-fiving strangers. Like, yeah! And at home, I can't high-five anybody. <laughs> In worship, if you're at home by yourself, it is an exception. It shouldn't be the norm. The norm is to be able to high-five other believers and say, man, what an awesome God we worship. To hear them sing with you, confess their faith with you. I love what St. Augustine said. He said, you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you. And during this season and for every week that we gather, I hope that we remember our hearts are restless until it rests in him. That's what these meetings are for. And Christmas is a time to reflect and to remember, to be thankful for what God has done. To pause and reflect. In verse 51, it says, Mary pondered or treasured these things in her heart. That means she watched it and guarded. So when she realized what Jesus was saying and remembered again who this guy is, this teen, this 12-year-old guy is, that he's not just my son who did chores and helped his dad with carpentry work. He is God's son. He is Emmanuel. There's no way a 15, 16-year-old virgin uh, teenager betrothed to her husband, Joseph, could possibly understand what was unfolding before her eyes. And after 12 years of changing his diapers, feeding him, helping him to go to school, helping him, bathing him, and helping him to learn how, how to take on responsibility, learning how to read, and even taking him to play with other friends, that this child is reminded to her and her, and, and her husband that this is the, the Son of God. You know, it gives me a reminder of what our children are. You know, as parents and as Sunday school teachers, we've been given such a privilege to care for our children. 
Through baptism, we recognize that they are God's people. And next week, we're going to see several infants being baptized as a part of this covenant community. Until one future day, when those little babies who are children who are, in, who are baptized will one day stand before God's people and confess their faith publicly. You know, last week, my daughter was confirmed. And she would ask me questions about how to answer certain questions about the interview and the gospel. And when I saw her standing here sharing her testimony, I have to admit as a father, I was so thankful and I also remembered she belongs to God first and then to Jen and myself. You know, this truth was never made more real than when on December 3rd, Pastor Harold and I attended the funeral of a young woman named Sarah. He mentioned this last week. She went to Asia to be a missionary, and as she was there, she contracted meningitis. She was only supposed to be there for two years, but in the first six months, this unexpected event occurred. And all you could think as you entered there, and both of us being fathers of daughters, was just overwhelming. So young. How could this be good? Not only was it unbelievable that the pastor giving the message at this funeral was her own father. But we sang songs of praise being led by this young lady as it was recorded during COVID as she led worship for her college group. And I commended her family for trusting God and allowing her to go on this trip. And I just, I just want to be very real with you. Deep down inside, I, to be very honest, I don't know if I would rejoice if my daughter or my son said, hey, dad, I'm going to serve God for X amount of years in this foreign country. And, I, and, and would I rejoice? Or would I be like, no, don't do that. Following Christ is not an easy thing. No one wants to suffer. No one wants to see their children suffer. And yet what we read in this scripture and what unfolds for us more than we can understand, even in this portion of text, is that there was a heavenly father who sent his only beloved son. I mean, who does that? What kind of love is this? It's a love we can only imagine and understand and able to grasp because of scripture. Not only is Jesus more wonderful than we can ever imagine, and being in the presence of the Father is more beautiful than we can imagine, but thirdly, I want us to see that Jesus took on more than we can imagine to love us in a way we can only imagine, as we see even in Scripture. In verse 41, it says, His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12, they went up according to custom. So this is something that they did. This is something they did every year, and this time they took Jesus. Little did anyone know that of all the boys and children that have attended the feast of the Passover, one fateful day, the ultimate Passover lamb himself would attend. In 1 Corinthians 5, 7, in the second part of this verse, Paul tells us, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. For those of us who may not know what the Passover is, let me give a brief explanation. In the Old Testament, God had sent 10 different plagues to Egypt demanding that the Pharaoh let his people go. These 10 plagues were spoken of and foretold by 
the servant Moses. One of the last was of these plagues was the death of the firstborn, including Pharaoh's firstborn son. This was to declare to, the, to all of Egypt and to Pharaoh that though you think you are deity and you are God, you are not. I am God. And he demonstrated this to Pharaoh by watching his firstborn die. And only those who had the blood of the lamb on the doorpost would be passed over in, their judgment, in God's judgment over Egypt. In an article entitled, How Jesus Fulfills the Passover by Justin Dillahay, he writes, The message of the tenth plague is that God is holy and just. But the message of Passover is that God is also merciful. On that first Passover, God devised a way in which he could be both just and merciful at the same time. We, call, we might call it a salvation through substitution. That's the meaning. God spares Israel's sons, not because they're better than Egypt's sons, but because of a spotless lamb dies in their place and its blood covers their door. In the New Testament, Jesus fulfills this annual festival by becoming the long-awaited Passover lamb. He becomes that sacrifice to be cut off from the Father in whom his presence he loved to be in mornings of prayer in all evening of prayer three days in the temple his father's house he would become sin for us and he would take upon himself the judgment and the death that was to be ours so that by his sacrifice we too would be passed over on the night of his death before his death, which happened right before the Passover celebration, Luke records in chapter 22, the last meal he shared with his disciples. And he shares what Jesus says. He says, when, it, when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, the cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Today, as we partake of the Lord's Supper at, his, at the Lord's table, I want us to remember why he died and for whom he died, for us. That during this Christmas season, that we want to remember that it's really about Christ. And I hope that that gathering together and remembering this on a weekly basis, not to mention this holy day where we remember why he was born and why he had come, that we will bring our children, like we did last week, filled with this room, and whether it's there on the other side or here together, that we would remember and teach our children as well as one another that the reason for the season is not everything else, as fun and good as that may be, that we want to first remember our love and our joy and the reason why we call ourselves Christians is because he came, died, was buried, 
and rose again on the third day. I paused for a moment when I was preparing this. And I wondered what it must have been like for Mary as she took her first communion. As, she, as the bread was given, this is the body of our Lord in remembrance of him. And I wondered what she thought. She must have thought, my son. And then when they took the, the wine, this is his blood poured out for us for the forgiveness of sins. The blood of my son. As a parent, that is unthinkable. That is unthinkable. This is the love of our Heavenly Father. This is the love of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when we take communion today, may we remember the reason for the season. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for this privilege and this honor even if it is a week before the day that we celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus. We thank you that no matter how old he was, whether he was a baby in a manger, a 12-year-old boy, or perhaps a 30-year-old man, somewhere in those years, as he hung on that cross, obeying the will of the Father and dying a sacrificial death for us, may we never forget May we never cease to gather together to celebrate and to remember, to treasure up in our hearts this knowledge and this wisdom given to us in Christ. For whatever our minds are struggling to imagine or comprehend, we thank you that your scriptures reveal to us and help us to begin to grasp that one future day we will not have to wonder or question, for all will be answered. And all will be seen clearly. Until that day, may we follow you and love you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.